All right, open your Bible, if you will, please. The golden text of the Bible. John chapter 3, verse number 16. John chapter 3, verse number 16. I heard this years ago, preacher, and I can still, still, still truly say it. They say big preachers choose little text. And little preachers choose big text. Well, I fit the qualification. I'm a little preacher and I've got a big text tonight. I want you to really pray God will help us and bless us and the Lord's will will be done. Good to be here. Good to be saved. I closed out a meeting this morning. I, I left Crossville, Tennessee to come to Rossville, Georgia. There's just one thing missing, see? One word, one letter difference. I've been up there with Don and Clint in a meeting. We had a good meeting, then left and drove down and thanked God for the rain. And, but it's good to be here. Good to be back at Bible Baptist. I always enjoy coming and being with you. And let's pray the Lord will help us and bless us and the Lord's will will be done. I, I just had, I had a cancellation of my meeting next week and I have a series, new series preacher. I thought about just starting it tonight. Amen. And uh, no, but uh, I'm not going to do that. I want to bring the message. I believe the Lord would have me to. Good to be here again. I love you. I appreciate you. They're having supper at Concord tonight and y'all had dinner today. I miss both of them, but... Uh, <laughs> I've not lost any weight, so I'll just go ahead and preach. Let's stand together, if you would, please. Your Bible open. John chapter number 3, verse number 16. The Bible said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me just do it another time. Just let it soak in real good. You want to say it with me? Let's say it together. How about doing that? Let's go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Keep your Bible open there. Let's bow our heads and hearts for a moment of prayer. Then the message for this evening from God's eternal word. Our precious heavenly father, Again, dear Lord, this evening, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bow before you in prayer. Father, I do want to say thank you for the joy of salvation. Thank you again, dear Lord, for the wonderful privilege that I've had to be born in America, to hear the gospel, to be saved of the grace of God, to be called to preach, put into ministry, and kept there, and blessed of the Lord as I am with great victory and joy through these years. Thank you, our Father, for the privilege of being a friend of Bible Baptist Church and their friendship to me through the years. Thank you, Lord, for each individual that's here tonight. Lord, I know you know the need as we've gathered here this evening. I pray, dear Lord, tonight that through the preaching word of God that you'll minister grace in a great way to your people. Then, Lord, I pray that you'll minister with conviction and conversion in the life of those that are not saved. Do that, dear God, you want to do and that that needs to be done. Lord, as we move into this season of the year, I pray that you will enable us one more time as we remember the reason for the season, Lord, to look at what you did for us that we might have so great a salvation. I simply ask you, Lord, help me to help your people and use me to bring sinners to the Savior. I'll praise you, Lord, for all that you do because I pray it in Jesus' name. For our sake, I do pray. Amen and amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Do keep your Bible open, please. Just seen him with a message for tonight from the Word of God. Somebody said, if you were to destroy all the Bible, 
But John 3, 16, there's enough gospel in this verse to save the world. I'd say amen. So what else is described John 3, 16 as the gospel in a nutshell? You don't have to go any further. Everything we need to know about salvation is given here in the word of God. And that's not minimizing any other passage of the scripture. What I want to do tonight, very unusual for most of us preachers, but I want to focus on this verse. I want to break it into seven pieces and let every part of it say something to us as a people of God. Now, I sometimes preach from generations to revolutions and uh, back and forth, you know, but I want to stay with the text tonight and if the Holy Spirit allows me to do so and give you something I believe will be a help to you in the service tonight. When I look at this, again, I want to call this the world's greatest story. There have been a lot of stories told, but never a story been told, never a story been written like it's given to us right here in this one simple verse of Scripture. Now, I feel like if I make that statement, I ought to be ready to give an answer as to why I would say such a thing. Why would you say, preacher, this is the world's greatest story? All right, look at your Bible. The first two words, I said it's the world's greatest story because it speaks about the world's greatest person. For God. Jeremiah said, there's none like unto the old God. The psalmist said, of all the gods of the world, there is none like unto thee. There never has been, there never shall be a person like our God. Matter of fact, there's nobody in competition. He's one of a kind. There's nobody like him. You say, preacher, what makes him so great? Well, can I just say to you, we're introduced to him real early in the scriptures. Genesis chapter number one, the Bible said in the beginning, God. You bump into him, Brother Bible, on the first line of the first verse. He's there. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight, but most of you study words and study the scriptures. The word for God there is Elohim, and it's a plural and manifest to us that God is a multiple being. We know him as the Trinity. And then we move from there and we're introduced to him as the Lord, which speaks to him as the Donai, the boss man, the master. And then again, he's introduced as the Lord God, which identifies him as the creator. Now, I'm going to stop right there and say to you, there is no other multi-plural God. There is no other real master God. And there is no other creator God, but our God. I come on over the book of Genesis chapter number 14, verse number 19. The Bible calls him the El Elyon, the most high God. There's none like unto him. He's the most high God. I come a few chapters further in Genesis 17, 1. I find him to be where it's described in our King James Bible as the almighty God. The El Shaddai, the almighty God. I'm not being disrespectful to say that, but the word shed there in the Hebrew word is the same word for a mother's breast. And just as that mother has everything that baby needs in her breast to feed that baby and take care of it and sustain it, our God is such a God tonight. We don't need another. We don't have to go anywhere else. We don't need another formula. Amen. We don't need it. God said you God is great enough. He is the Almighty. There's nobody even in competition with him. 
But then I read on over and I come to the book of Exodus and I find that he's talking to Moses when he's down in Egypt. And Moses said, or God, Moses, Moses later said, God, you know, I've done what you told me to. I preached your message and it didn't work. Ever feel like that? I won't ask you, preacher, if you ever felt like that. But and God said, wait a minute, Moses. He said, I, by my name, almighty God, I was manifest to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. But by my name, Jehovah, I was not manifest unto them. Man, I could preach an hour. I don't want to do that. Look at him just a minute. Jehovah means two things. Number one, it is a self-existent one. The second part is that revealeth himself. The self-existent one that revealeth himself. Look at me just a moment. God doesn't need anything from anybody. God doesn't need anything from anybody. Everything that God created did not make him more God than he was. And by the way, you and I didn't add to him either. There's none like unto him, I'm saying to you. He, and he said, I am the self-existent one. But then he said, I'm the one that revealeth myself. Yes. I'm telling you, I'm glad I serve a God that knows how to make himself known. He can come in unexpected. He can come in uninvited. He can show up at the least expected time. And all of a sudden, there he is. You can't get around him. He's too big. You can't get under him. He's too low. You can't get over him. He's too high. And then you've got to deal with him. God knows how to confine us where we've got to deal with him in a personal way. Amen. I, every one of us who's saved by the grace of God, most of us at least, he have any age on us, we could tell you that story in our own life. When one day he revealed himself to me. I can tell you the time. I can take you to the place. I was working in the field on the farm. There's a boy. We had a place up there. We'd cleaned off some trees and we called it a new ground. If you're an old time farmer, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, I was up there working. Revival's going on down at the church. And we'd had some good meetings, but nothing bothered me. But on that Tuesday, on that Thursday afternoon, second week of August 1951, all of a sudden, Brother David, somebody joined me in that field. Now, I didn't have to ask who it was. He made himself known. I didn't have to ask, he made himself known. Now, I'm glad that God reveals himself. Let me tell you this. I was, when I was pastoring Bethel, we had prison minister. I went over to the jail every week. And I went to jail one day, and I walked up to a fellow behind bars, and I walked down the catwalk, and he was over behind the bars. And I asked him, I said, do you know Jesus Christ? He said, yes, and I know Mohammed. I know Buddha. And... Uh, I told you, I know some of the other gods of this world, they call him. I said, uh, I said, well, I don't know what that's got to do with it, but do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, well, he also included George Washington. He said, George Washington is the founder of our country, father of our country. And Buddha's a founder of religion, and Mohammed's a founder of religion, and Jesus is a founder of religion. I got about as quiet as you did for just a moment, and I said, no, wait a minute. Where is Buddha? Buried over there somewhere. Where's Mohammed? He's buried over there in Mecca. Where's George Washington? Buried up there in the Mount Vernon. I said, where's Jesus Christ? Amen. He said, well, if that Bible's true, he's alive and seated at the right hand of God the Father. 
I knew I had him. I said, so wait a minute now. If Mohammed and Buddha are dead, it'd be hard for them to show up. Manifest himself. But I said, if Jesus is alive, he ought to be able to let you know he's alive. He agreed with me. We had one of them little marked edition new soul winner New Testament. I gave it to him and showed him how to run those references. I said, well, you read this and just simply say, God, if you're real, reveal yourself. I come back up to the bars the next week, that same place. He met me there and he started saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And I said, what happened? He said, I was laying back there on that little bunk one night and reading the Bible through the light that shined through the window from the street light. And all of a sudden, something, then he corrected himself and said, somebody showed up in that. And he got on his knees there beside the monk and God saved him by the grace of God. I'm glad I'm not serving a dead God. I'm just a servant God that's alive and is able to manifest himself to saint and sinner. As we go through this journey of our Christian life. Amen. Psalm 90, verse number two. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. World's greatest person, there's none like him. I got to move. Number two, look at your Bible again. For our God so loved the world. Not only did I see there's the world's greatest person, but there's the world's greatest passion. Nobody ever loved like God loved. Now, don't get carnal and don't turn me off what I'm fixing to say, but I love reading love stories. The right kind. Amen. And this Bible is full of them. I think about the first love story in the Bible. Here's a man by the name of Adam, God's created. Then it creates Eve to come to him to be his helpmeet. And then Eve sins. And Adam faced a choice. He could stay in that state of innocence and be eternally separated from Eve. Or he could step down and through childbearing, redeem her. Amen. And you know what Adam done? He loved her so much. That he stepped down right. where she was right. <laughs> Amen. to bring her up where he was. Right. Do I need to say anymore? I'm telling you, God loved this world so much yes. that he came in the form of human being and condescended, left the point of glory for a pace of God, got the, left the throne of God for a tree of Calvary. I'm telling you, God stepped farther down than Adam did to redeem his bride, the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of the story in the Bible, the love story in the book of Ruth. Ruth, under the curse, a Moabitess, a heathen. But Boaz saw her and he wanted her. And he wanted her enough to overlook what she was. <laughs> Amen. And marry her in spite of the fact that she was not likened to him. And I tell you, God looked at every one of us and saw us as sinners, heathen, 
ungodly without God, having no hope without God in the world. A long way off, we were dead, but I'm glad that God overlooked what we was. You see, God did not save us because of what we are. He saved us in spite of what we was. He loved us enough to save us, even though we were sinners under the judgment of Almighty God. I love the story in the Bible of a man by the name of Hosea and his wife, Gomer. In my own heart, one of the mysteries of the Bible, Brother Gravely, God told that prophet to go marry that woman of the whoredom. I know what he's doing. He's going to show Jews, the Jews, nation Israel, how much he loved them, how far he'd go for them. Hosea marries her from a life of adultery. Brother Bobby, they come home. They start their family. There's a baby born. There's another baby born. There's another baby born. And Gomer said, I don't like changing these diapers, raising these babies. I'm going back to the street life. She went out there and lived a life of adultery again until her body was no longer enticing to the opposite gender. And then her owner put her on the auction block. Hosea heard about it. He came down to that auction that day. He forgot everything she'd done. He overlooked every sin she'd committed. He looked beyond her faults, saw her need, and he bought her off the auction block and brought her back home and never brought up her past again to her. Oh, can I say to you one day, I was a slave to sin. I was on the auction block, and the devil, my friend, had done everything he could to ruin my life and wreck my life. But I'm glad that the Lord Jesus Christ looked at me and saw us for sale, and God did his son's blood and shed it on Calvary and bought me and brought me home and forgot and forgave everything I've ever done and I stand justified just as I never sinned through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. No greater love story. World's greatest person, world's greatest passion. Don't want you to know it's the world's greatest presentation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. During this season every year, most all of us will be involved in much giving of gifts. We'll receive some from others. we give some to others. It's a general thing in this Christmas season. We wrap our gifts in wrapping paper and put it under the tree. But God wrapped himself in human flesh. And headed toward a tree, the tree of Calvary. I want to say to you tonight, the world's greatest presentation was not when somebody handed someone a large, valuable piece of property or some large jewelry, whatever it might be. But the world's greatest presentation was when God looked down from heaven and saw a world that was doomed and damned and destined for a devil's hell. And God said, I'll give my son, I'll send my son. And God wrapped his son up and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in the manger, and he gave him to us that we might be saved by the grace of God. Never a gift presentation equals to that. You know, the Bible speaks in, the, in Romans chapter number six, verse number 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God 
is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Yes. Then in John chapter number one, you know, for a gift to be, a gift presentation to be complete, there's got to be somebody that loves enough to give. There's got to be a gift. And there's got to be a receiver. God himself loved enough to give a gift. The gift of God is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He did love us. He did give his son for us. But that's not salvation. It's salvation provided. But salvation is personified when you reach out by faith and receive the gift of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say this again. I was talking to somebody just this week. And it's, it's amazing how many people feel like they've got to work. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. I'm telling you, salvation is a gift. God, the lover, is the giver. God, the son, is a gift. And then you and I who have received him are the receivers. And I want to say to you tonight, if you've never received him, all you've got to do is come and receive him by faith. Amen. He'll save you. I don't care who you are. Or what you have done. Sure, you got the world's greatest patient person for God. You got the world's greatest passion, so love the world. Then you got the world's greatest presentation that he gave his only begotten son. Then number four, there's the world's greatest prospect that whosoever. Yes. Well, I'm glad that word's in the Bible. Yes. I'm glad the Bible that I read, believe, and study holds the word of God and knows nothing about an elect or select in this dispensation of the church. Amen. A lot of it among the nation of Israel, but not in the dispensation of the church. No, my friend, I'm telling you, the Bible is so plain. The Bible said in Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 9, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. The Bible said in 1 Timothy 2, 4, who will have all men to be saved. The Bible said in 1 Timothy 4, 10, he's a savior of all men. The Bible said in Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible said he came not to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. I'm saying to you, my friend, I don't care who you are, what your past is, who your parents are, even what your plans are. If you'll come as a repenting sinner, you'll find Jesus a receiving Savior and he'll save you by the grace of God. Never a sinner has been turned away who come to God with repentance and faith. God saves them by the marvelous grace of God. Watch this. You're not too poor for God to save you. I don't mean to be offensive. But you're not too unlearned for God to save you. You've not gone too far for God to save you. You're not too deep in sin for God to save you. The only one group of people, Pastor, that God really can't save, that's them that think they're too good. And it's not because he can't, but it's because he won't. We've got to come to the place of being a needed sinner. But God will. God will. I don't care who you are. Red, yellow, black, and white. All are precious in his sight. Yes. Young, old, male, female. Rich, poor. Educated, uneducated. You realize you're a sinner. You realize that Christ died for you. You turn from your sin to the Savior. I'm telling you, God will save you. Can I say it? Before you even really know it. Amen. Nothing did our friend 
find him forsaken. No, not one. No, not one. Now I'm telling you, there is no limits on the prospect of God. Amen. I remember when Ed and I were younger. I'm looking at it, I think we're old and poor now. I got more sense or something. They don't fool as much. Boy, we used to get all kind of them sweepstake mails, you know, and all that kind of stuff in the mail. And some of them looked real good. And then I got down there at the bottom, started reading that small print. I done read the small print on this and I found I'm qualified. Amen. I know it by the book. I know it because of the blessed hope I have burning inside of me. I don't care who you are. To me, pastor, can you imagine preaching with a burden on hell and people going to hell and then have to look at them and wonder if they could be saved or not? I have never passed out a gospel track and wondered if God would save that person. I've never opened up this Bible and preached from a text and wondered if God would save that person. I don't boast on myself to say this. I've witnessed to the drunks stumbling down the street. I've witnessed to the women of ill repute. I've witnessed to drunkards and dopeheads and all that. I have never had one moment's reservation. Did God love him? Was the blood of Christ sufficient? Now, my friend, I'm telling you, the blood of Christ is sufficient to save any sin from every sin. Now, I want to say this. I may have said this here in the Jubilee, but the grace of God's never met its match. The blood of Christ has never met its match. A few years ago, I discovered I had a plumbing leak under the floor, and I got a young man to come and help me. We crawled under there and wallowed in the mud for about a couple of hours. And we got back out, and he went back to campus during the August camp meeting. I went in the house to change clothes, and I came back later on that afternoon, the next morning one, and my wife said to me, you ruined that undershirt. And it wasn't smart. It don't sound too pleasant, but she understood, and I was not being angry. I said, so what? They make them every day. And you can buy them for a couple of dollars. That's just half wore out. Brother Bobby just had a hole under one arm. Amen. But, uh, anyway, I, and, uh, but then she said this. She said, I, David, she said, I washed it twice. It wouldn't come clean. She escaped. I can just see my wife. You know my wife. I see my wife looking at that undershirt and that mud all saturated in it. And she puts some stuff on it, throws it in the laundry in the washing machine, runs its cycle. And here's how Miss Blue does. Take it out and look at it. Put it back in there and run her again. When she got through, she looked at it, took it out to the garage door and threw it over there where my grease rags, I call them, stay at. Brother Gravy, when she started telling me that, I just, it just come to my mind. God has never had to run one sinner Amen. twice. <laughs> never, never had to run one sinner two times. And thank God he's never looked at one and saw the stain is still there and thought, no, Brother Rudolph's son, the blood still reaches deeper than the stain is gone. I don't care what you've done, who you are, I'm telling you, the grace of God will save you. The blood of Christ will cleanse you and God will make you a new creature if you come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. But you got the world's greatest person for God. The world's greatest uh, pastor, so love the world, the greatest presentation he gave his only begotten son, the world's greatest prospect, whosoever. Now look at this. You've got the world's greatest promise. Should not perish. 
Now, I'm sure not changing our King James Bible, but they tell me, Brother Gravity, that that is a triple negative. Should not, no, never perish. A triple whammer. Should not, no, never perish. Should not perish. You know what? I don't have to take a half a baby aspirin when I go to bed tonight of wondering where I'm going if I die. Amen. I am so saved I could swing out over hell on a number 50 sewing thread saying amazing grace spit in the devil's face and still land in that wonderful place by God's amazing grace. I'm not afraid of dying and going to I shall never perish. I shall never perish. You know, there's three things that really come to my mind. Number one, preacher, I will never perish in sin. Because God said sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under the law, but under grace. I may sin and you may sin, but we don't have to sin. Romans 8, 2, the law of the Spirit of Christ in the law of spirit of Christ, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now listen to me carefully. If I trust in it, Blue, I'll be in trouble. But I'm glad I can trust Jesus. Sin has no more dominion over me. I have been liberated. I shall not perish in sin. Number two, I won't perish in death. I will die one day if Jesus don't come soon. But death to a believer is a door. You know what you do with the door? That door right there has a two things. On it. It's number one, it's an exit. I see it saying it right yonder. If you can see it from the other side, it don't say it, but it ought to say entrance. Death, you walk out of this life, exit, but you enter into the presence of the Lord and live there. I'm not afraid of death because the Lord took the sting out of death. You know this story in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when the rapture takes place, the dead in Christ are going to be raised or resurrected. They'll hear the trumpet and we're going to be changed and caught up together with them in a moment, a twinkle of an eye. And as we go up, those brother gravity that we're living, are going, I, I almost like to think of it as singing a song. Spanner to take the lead and the alto follow. And those who did not die are going to start singing, Oh, death, where's our sting? And those who died and were buried are going to say, Oh, grave, where's our victory? I'm saying to you, my friend, that for the child of God, we do not have to fear death. The greatest story tells us that Christ not only died for sin, but he conquered death. And he conquered the grave. Boy, I remember as a child, I'd go to to a funeral, to a cemetery. Brother Gravity and I looked down in that big old dark, deep hole. I thought, how horrible that must be. None of us are looking forward to going there, but we're not going to know when we do it, so you can cheer up over it. But you know what I learned one day? That's a temporary place for the body. Not the spirit, not the soul, but for the body to remain until resurrection day. Job faced that. I believe Job faced one day, I might not get better. I may die with these boils and all that. But you know, it's not so bad to die when you can see what Job's saying. You know what he saw in Job 19, 25? He said, I know my Redeemer liveth. That 
that he shall stand again in the latter days upon this earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. The grave, my friend, does not hold any fear to my being tonight because if I, if I go to the grave, I won't stay long. I'm going to get out. I was preaching a meeting in Florida, Brother Ray Lindsay, several years ago. And Brother Ray couldn't be there on a Monday night. He had a funeral. He come back the next night. We were eating supper when he arrived. And he said, I had an unusual experience last night. Of course, that always perks up preacher's ears. Baptist people too. He said, we drove down into the Everglades, out into a private cemetery, and had the grave dug. And he said, I noticed back over here the size of one of them big old cement trucks, just, you know, the big old barrel, drum turning on the back of it. And he said, the driver standing there had his hat over his heart, you know, cap over his heart, very respectful. He said, I thought, well, they're doing some construction work, and at least they're going to be respectful. Where do we get through? He said, we had a little committal service and said, we turned to walk away, and I heard that big old diesel rev up and that beep, beep, you know, for reverse when that, he said, I turned around, and he's backing toward that grave. I thought he's going back off in there. All of a sudden, he locked it down, got out, and they started pouring concrete on top of that vault. And they did it because there in the Everglades, the water level is so close to the top of the ground. We've seen it in some of the flooded areas, but Bobby would float them out of the ground, and so they waved it down with concrete. While he's telling that there at that supper table, this thought went through my mind. When I die, Dig a hole a thousand feet deep. Put a thousand loads of concrete on top of me. But that trumpet won't toot but one time and I'm coming out. Amen. There ain't no grave gonna hold my body down. For the saints of God, and we don't like to think about this, but we can go with our loved ones and follow them out there and turn and walk away so heartbroken, so heavy. But Brother Allen, thank God that's not the end. That's not all of it. The trumpet's going to come. The Lord's going to come. The trumpet's going to sound. And we're going to get out. There is no grave that can hold us down. We have that blessed promise. We shall not perish in sin, in death, are in the grave. That's right. Notice the sixth thing quickly. It's the world's greatest passion, or person, passion, presentation, prospect, promise. But finally, there's the world's greatest possession. But how? But how? It don't say but find. It does not say but get. But how? If I can use some Georgia language, that means you already got it. Possession right now. I have eternal life right this moment. Amen. When I die and the Lord comes again, I'm going to change bodies to a glorified body, resurrected body. I'm already enjoying eternal life right now. As far as I can understand, and I would not argue this, and I don't want to be, cause you to think anything wrong, but Brother Gravely, my understanding, most of the time you find eternal life speaks of the quality of our life. It's God's life. Everlasting speaks of the quantity. It lasts forever. I wouldn't argue that for just be dogmatic, but generally that rule will hold in the study of the Scripture. Eternal life. 
going to live forever. Eternal life, the life of God, everlasting life, going to live forever. I, right now, stand in this pulpit as a possessor of life eternal. Was it Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is our life shall appear? Then we shall also appear with him in glory. He that hath a son hath life. I'm telling you, we have the life of God living inside us right now. It's not something we're hoping for, praying for, looking for. We are now possessors. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I'm on the wrong verse. Verily, but I send you, he that hear my word and believe on him that sent me shall not come into condemnation, shall not come into judgment as a sinner, but is passed from death unto life. For God, the world's greatest person, soul of the world, the world's greatest passion, that he gave his only begotten son the world's greatest presentation, that whosoever the world's greatest prospect, that whosoever then, then should not perish, the world's greatest promise, and then but have everlasting life, world's greatest possession. But did you notice I left that one little phrase? I did it really on purpose. Right in the middle of that verse, you have the world's greatest plan. That whosoever believeth on him. You say, preacher, what can I do to be saved? Nothing. It's already been done. You receive him and the finished work of the Lord at Calvary, his death, burial, and resurrection, and God saves you by his amazing grace. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. The Bible said in Titus 2, 13, 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purifying himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. What is, it, what is the basic principle for us in our part in being saved? It's twofold, not mention one of them in this verse, but I think all of us understand. Number one, there has got to be the work of God in repentance we call conviction. It's still there. Amen. But that's God's part. And you don't have to worry about God. He'll do his part. But Brother Gravely, all a sinner can do is come with repentance and faith. Accept the free gift of God's grace. And God will save you by his amazing grace. I want this young man sitting right here on the inside. Would you step up here just a moment? Come up here just a moment. I'm not going to hurt you. Come on up here just a moment. What have I got in my hand? A one dollar bill. Would you like to have that one dollar bill? You can have it. Thank you. You may see it. Thank you. It's that simple. God stands. I'm not going to give all you guys a dollar. Now don't get excited. But God stands, Brother David. But eternal life, reaching out to us. You see, he heard the story. He heard me say, come. He believed enough, come. He didn't believe enough, he reached to get it. Y'all see that? I'm not not making fun of him. I'm telling you, you can die in your sins and go to hell if you want to, but you don't have to. God is standing, God is standing, offering you salvation tonight. He didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know what I was going to do. But he obeyed that simple command, come. If you'll come to Christ, he'll save you 
by the grace of God. Let's stand together, please. Your heads bowed, eyes are closed. Hearts turned to God. Brother David's come with an invitation hymn tonight. Just a simple message. I felt like the Lord wanted me to preach tonight. For God, the world's greatest person, so loved the world, the world's greatest passion, that he gave his only begotten son, the world's greatest person, the world's greatest presentation, that whosoever the world's greatest prospect, believe up in him, the world's greatest plan. Lord should not perish, world's greatest promise, but have everlasting life, the world's greatest possession. What about you tonight? Are you saved? Are you saved? If you are, rejoice in it. Thank God for his free gift of mercy and grace, salvation. If you're not saved, I'm telling you, if you'll come to God tonight, though you cannot see it with your natural eye, he's speaking to you tonight in your heart and saying, I've got a gift for you. It's free. If it cost anything, it wouldn't be a gift. It's of grace. That means man cannot produce it. God produced it. It's of God. That means that we just simply come to God and receive it of him. He'll save you. He'll come tonight. Father, you know the need. Please take this simple message. Use it to your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. What we're singing, Brother Dave?